Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, and my definite purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at two websites. One is journeytosuccessradio.com, and the other one is Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is an amazing guest. Every single day I open up his IQ morning report and 90% of my personal development videos, images, thoughts, speakers come from that IQ morning report. Now, I get a lot of emails, over 100 a day, so to open one every single day is, uh, you have to imagine, it's a very, very, very good newsletter. Jim Vaughn's main mission for the balance of his life is to spread ideas to improve all the tomorrows of your life. His platform, the IQ Morning Report, to accomplish that goal is a daily, six times a week video newsletter distributed to subscribers on four continents in nine countries. Each morning, his newsletter is distributed worldwide at 5.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so subscribers can get an early morning head start on everyone else. And his client list includes nationally known thought leaders, A-list authors, keynote speakers, professional athletes, and every type of vocation imaginable. I know many people who are subscribers personally. The IQ Morning Report has been compared to a breath mint for your mind before you have to go out and slay today's quota of fire-breathing dragons. In today's interview, we're going to learn about the why behind the what of the IQ Morning Report. Welcome to the show today, Jim. I'm too tall. You are too kind, brother. I mean, I... I get the impression, you, you you know, after listening to you, I feel like I'm psychologically 10 feet tall, bazooka proof, and might be able to walk on water, even if it's not frozen at the time. Hey, amazing. <laughs> and uh, I've plastered over Facebook enough times, uh, videos, images, interviews, all kinds of things from your morning report. And uh, you can imagine someone like myself has access to a lot of personal development materials, but yours is one I open every single day to check out what Jim has got for me. And uh, so let's start off. Uh, I want to find out a little bit about uh, your educational history. Uh, that's always interesting to learn. Uh, uh, one thing I've learned that I think on most years on the Fortune 500 richest persons list, you got to get down to about 11 or 12 before a single one of them has completed university or college. So what is your education, Jim, that uh, brings you to the point that you are today? Well, my edu- you know, I, I had a standard access to uh, public school education, but my path was a rocky road. In the third grade, the school that I went to, the elementary school, they had double sessions, and my class for the third grade ended up in the school auditorium. Now, imagine, if you will, one room with four different teachers teaching to 120 students. Now, you're listening to four different teachers at the same time give out various instructions to their classes. Now, in my particular third grade class, we never, ever actually had a teacher. What we had was nine substitutes in nine months. Now, for whatever reason, I was promoted into the fourth grade, even though I didn't learn third grade material. So for the next 10 years of my life, I was lost in a classroom. 
I always felt like the dumbest kid in the classroom. I felt like I was the last student to understand whatever it was the teacher was talking about. And by the time I got my diploma, my future didn't appear to be anything but a bunch of dead-end jobs leading to nowhere anyone might care to go. So my formal education sucked. And, <laughs> but beyond that, beyond that, I did some studying on my own. I became my own best teacher, and we're going to talk about that in today's interview. Nice, nice. I'm trying to picture four teacher <laughs> teachers in one room with four classes. You could learn four subjects at one time, or you could be doing a, an exam and know answers from the other person's exam more than you know your own exam. Well, I, I've been blessed or cursed with an overactive imagination, and consequently, I didn't need that kind of distraction, diffusion in my thinking that I got in the third grade. It was just, you know, uh, basically, I suffered from the third through the 12th grade in a classroom. And, um, you know, just I just didn't get much out of out of public education. Now, public education is based on several hundred years of uh, a model that started off. I can't remember what the you know, what the military group was, but they figured out that, you know, taking a bunch of untrained people into a field to fight a battle and everybody's doing their own thing was not a good deal. So they started training all the soldiers to do exactly the same thing so that if 10 soldiers died and they had to bring up 10 reserves, the 10 that arrived knew everything they, that the 10 they were replacing knew about how to fight well. And that spilled over into public education. Now the industrial revolution was really the big deal behind public education. And the reason for that you had, you know, the industrial uh, giants needed people to work in their factories, but they didn't need those people to be too smart. They needed them to be able to read instructions, read how to operate the machinery, how to understand those kind of things. And another part of training that public school provided for these people was that down on the farm, you know, if Bubba didn't get out of bed till 10 o'clock in the morning and show up in the field, no big deal because Uncle Chester was going to cover for him. But in a factory in 1900, when the whistle blew at 8 o'clock in the morning and the production line started, Bubba better be standing over the square X ready to do what he's supposed to do. So basically, public education was a, a conformity uh program so that everybody would learn to be where they're supposed to be at a certain time. And, but again, you know, public education was never meant to teach people how to be exceptionally smart and mm -hmm. how to think for themselves. It basically, uh, it was, it was all about conformity. You know, we've got a, you know, we've got jobs that need to be filled and, you know, whoever you are, you know, regardless of your background, we just need for you to, come in and stand on the square and do what we tell you to do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, some people break out of that mold. They decide that they want to do their own thing, that being totally uh, to be a conformist is not their thing. They don't want to live a life of conformity. They want to live the life that they have personally designed. And in order to do that, people need to learn certain things that schools never think is important to teach. And consequently, that's what I teach in the IQ Morning Report. All those subjects that no, no public school ever thought was important to teach people when they were going through 12 grades of, of education. Now, one of the things that I've learned is you don't actually have to have a high school diploma in order to succeed. I mean, it is amazing when you dig through some of the histories of the people who have been incredibly successful. I mean... Uh, I think Thomas Edison had like three months of public education. Uh, but a lot of the people after World War II, I mean, the military took anybody and they gave them some pretty important jobs like flying airplanes and things like that. And a lot of those people didn't have but an eighth grade education. And they came out in, in job prospects for an eighth grade dropout at that time was, was not all that great. So a lot of these people started their own companies. 
the guy that started U-Haul, eighth grade education. One of my personal heroes is a guy who is always fascinated by radios. And so there was a point in time when automobiles did not have a radio. Nobody had figured out how to do it, but he did. And he couldn't afford to go to the big show where all the automobile manufacturers were there to see what was new that they might be able to include in their cars. So what he did was he found out where the exit door of the building was and he parked his car right at the exit door and he opened up both doors of his cars and uh, of his car and he turned on the radio and he drew a big crowd. And ultimately one of the people in the crowd bought his mobile radio and since radios back then were referred to as Victrolas and this was a, mo- a mobile version Uh, The mobile radio that he created was the beginning of the Motorola Radio Corporation. Now, this same guy, eighth grade dropout, later on, he created uh, eight-track tapes. And so, I mean, you know, here's this guy. He's already had one success with his radio, uh, his mobile radios. Then he had a big success with that. But that was not what what he is best known for. He found out that Sweden was considering buying fighter airplanes. And one of the companies that had presented their uh, potential uh, aircraft uh, got turned down. And here, completely ready set of blueprints to build a small fighter jet. So he bought them for a song. And then he brought them back to this country and he started building private jets. His name was Bill Lear, Lear Jets, eighth grade education. The guy who started U-Haul, eighth grade education. Back in the early 70s, there was a guy out in California by the name of Cal Worthington, and he ran the wildest television commercials you have ever seen. I mean, I was out there in 63, and I saw one of his commercials where he was on a biplane standing on top of the wing. The plane was upside down. And his big catchphrase, well, I'll do anything to sell you a car. And he owned a whole bunch of automobile dealerships, most of which were Chrysler products. And, you know, again, eighth grade education. When he got out of the military, he uh, he had he got his severance pay. And but his job prospects for an eighth grade dropout weren't all that great. So what he did with his severance pay was he went and bought three used cars. And the busiest place in town was right in front of the post office. So he parked all three cars in front of the post office early in the morning. And by the time the sun went down, he had sold all three of those cars for a profit. And this went on and on and on and on until he ended up being the largest retailer of Chrysler Motor products anywhere in the country. And one of his signature uh, things was he wore a white hat. So ultimately, you ended up seeing... Uh, the Dodge division of Chrysler, uh, their, their big national commercials were, we're the guys in the white hat, and they got it from Cal Worthington. So you don't have to have a high school education to be successful in life. You just have to have a good idea, make a committed decision to turn that idea into a reality, and then follow it up with never-ending persistence. And you just never give up till you get what you want. Now, Um, what people call failure is not really failure unless you give up. If you give up, yeah, you failed. But a lot of people, the successful people, they know to expect that not everything is always going to work out their way, or it's not always going to be the way they perceived it as they got started. And if you run into a concrete wall, you know, it's not a big problem. Back up. You win either way because you're going to figure out there's something you did not yet know or there's something you were not yet doing. And you have to figure out what it is. And if you don't know how, once you figure out what it was that was missing in the equation, if you don't know how to solve that problem, there are many, many mentors who are very successful. And it's been my experience that they are very free with their uh, advice on what you can do to work around that. Just go find somebody who's already figured out how to get around that speed bump that's directly in front of you 
and let them tell you how to deal with it. And as long as you never give up, you're going to be successful. I mean, Edison did 1,100 attempts to create the light bulb. And the, um, you know, people at one, one time, a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,100 times? Edison said, I didn't fail 1,100 times. I, I learned 1,100 different things that will not work. So you succeed in a lot of different ways, but you have to recognize what, the, what success came out of your efforts. And you just don't give up till you get what you want. So exactly. anyhow. I love it. Now, uh, you and I are very much the same, except you are older. Uh, both of us have spent, me, uh, uh, what would it be, 20-some to 30-some odd years of just devouring every personal development. And I'll go back to CDs, cassettes, books. Uh, and you've been doing this for 50 years uh, why do you spend so much time and so many years studying success books and articles, videos, audios? Uh, you have uh, probably gone through even more than I have uh, because you have to do it for your daily newsletter. But uh, tell me about your experience with personal development over the last uh, 50 years. All right. I know that you are a certified Napoleon Hill instructor, so you're going to like what I have to say next. Nice. All right. Through, I told you that, that for me, going through public schools was hell on earth. I mean, I really, really, really hated going to school absolutely every day, 180 days a year for 10 years in a row. And the uh, I got hit by a car in uh, out delivering newspapers on a major highway. And I was in the hospital for three months, home in a body cast for two months. And for the couple, first couple of weeks, the doctors would not make a commitment as to whether or not I would live or die. And somebody that worked with my mother knew that I idolized Jacksonville's most popular radio disc jockey. She called him and told him what was going on in my life. And he came over to the hospital that night and then every other night for three months. And then I happened to live halfway between Jacksonville and Jacksonville Beach. And he lived at Jacksonville Beach. And even after I got home on a body cast, every other day for two months, he came to visit me. He promised me everything under the sun if I would get better. And my doctors admitted to my parents uh, that when the day he started coming to see me, my medical condition improved. That's mind that has an influence over your physical body. It's an example of that. And anyhow, uh, I started hanging around the radio station after I was able to get up and get around. And I decided that that was what I wanted to do. And one, one day I was there on a Saturday morning. I'd been there all night long. And I needed to go for a walk and wake up. And I walked into one of the places I stopped at was a bookstore. And one of the books had a title that intrigued me. It was called Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> and I picked it up. And I was so blown away by what I read in that book. It was a serious course correction in my life. From that book, I suddenly realized that what happened in my lifetime wasn't up to anybody but me. And here's a guy that's published the recipe. He's published the ingredients. He's laid out the roadmap. So learn the roadmap and follow it. That was, that was to me, one of the most exciting ideas that I think I had ever come across up to that point in time. I was so intrigued by Napoleon Hill's writing. I, my logic was this has to be the tip of the iceberg. If one book is this good, I need to dig deep into this guy's psychology and figure out what else he has written that may not have made it into this particular book. Well, Hill wrote nine books before he died. There have been two summaries of his writings that have been published since his death. And the uh, so I own all nine of his books. And I absolutely uh, dearly love Napoleon Hill. Now, he was born in Pound, Virginia. And I was born 45 miles away from Pound. I was born in Pennington Gap, Virginia. And 
that's mountainous countries. I mean, that is the western tip of the state of Virginia. So I proudly tell everybody that I have hillbilly roots, but I catch up every once in a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> whoa. Anyhow, <clears throat> from him, I, I learned about Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale was on the radio every morning with a morning program on the radio called uh, Our Changing World. And every day when you listened to his program, when he was through, you felt better about yourself, your job, your prospects for the future. I mean, he just made you feel good. And so every day that was a don't miss at 725 a.m. And that was such a popular radio program. It was on 725 radio stations across the United States. Wow. And that's one of the influences in uh, their IQ Morning Report, because nobody has anything quite like our changing world today. And Earl died, I think it was in 1988. I believe it was along in there. And so, you know, it's been missing for a long time. So um, to syndicate something like the IQ Morning Report on radio would be incredibly difficult. But on the Internet, it makes it very easy to do that. And the amount of people that I <clears throat> reach is a is basically a very small percentage. I mean, there are people out there that are marketing their services on the internet and they do all kinds of little tricks to attract people to their website just to build massive lists uh, that they can email and try to sell them stuff. And I don't, I don't, I've never sent anybody an email. I'm into my third year with the IQ Morning Report. I've never sent an email to anybody asking them to buy anything other than a subscription to the IQ Morning Report. And so, I mean, uh, uh, according to um, uh, Earl Nightingale, only 5% of the people go through life and end up being uh, wealthy enough to be able to support themselves at retirement age, which means that 95%, uh, you know, they didn't do it. They didn't think it was important enough to prepare to be retired and retire in comfort. And so I know that my target audience is one in 20 people, five out of a hundred. So I don't have a massive email list, but I'll tell you this. I have the most dedicated uh, subscribers that anybody could possibly have. If there's ever a technical glitch where one person doesn't get their edition of the IQ Morning Report, I promise you I hear about it ASAP. And then I do whatever it takes to correct the problem and make sure that it does not recur again. I've learned some great questions in life. And one of the questions that anybody who wants to escape the life of conformity needs to know, and they need to habitually ask themselves this question when things in their life are not going the way they want them to, is what can I do to make sure that this never, ever happens to me again? So whenever something goes sideways in my life, I always ask that question. And um, it's amazing. You know, uh, I, I mean, I used to rent massive sound systems to people, and we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, the largest job I had, it required seven miles of wire to go from the amplifiers to all the speakers scattered across the property. And so there were so many things that could possibly go wrong. And Anytime something did go wrong, I corrected it, uh, you know, within about five minutes, if that was possible. And it usually was, but I tried to figure out what it was. Again, I'd ask myself, what can I do to make sure this never ever happens to me again? And I got to the point that whenever I called on a new prospect, <clears throat> somebody that was considering hiring me, I could truthfully look them in the eye and tell them, friend, I have solutions for problems that other sound system contractors don't even know is a problem. And that, that was a true statement. So wow. you, you, you mentioned my age earlier. I tell people I, at, I am 71 years old and I tell people based on my age, I am so old. I knew Jimmy Dean before he bought his first pig. And <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I tell that in a speech and they laugh and the, the deal is it's true. Part wow. of my history. Part of my history is working in radio and because I worked in radio as a teenager 
and later on weekends as an adult, I mean, I didn't never took up the game of golf. So while people were out spending money on golf, I was earning money working in radio. And the, uh, that gave me access backstage at the Coliseum. So I met a lot of nationally known entertainers, even as a teenager. And, um, I'm not, you know, again, I have hillbilly roots. I'm not too bright, but I catch up every once in a while. I, I don't care who you are when the, when the concert's over with, you're going to need a ride to go either back to your motel or go to the airport, one or the other. So when I would meet somebody I thought was interesting, I would offer that little service. And Jimmy Dean took me up on it a couple of times. <laughs> Excuse me. And the second time we're riding around Jacksonville on the way to his motel and then to the airport. And he's all excited. He's as excited as a six-year-old child on the night before Christmas. Tell me about this pig farm. Now, this was in the early 60s, and the uh, income tax for the highest income earners at that time was 90 cents on the dollar. And Jimmy Dean was filling coliseums, and he was selling records like there was no tomorrow. So he was in that income bracket, and it bothered him. He said, the government takes so much of my money, and I have zero control over how they spend it. He said, but if I invest my money in my own enterprise, I get to control how every dime of it is spent. So my brother and I are going to get a pig farm down in Texas. I'm going to put up the money. He's going to manage it. And that way I get to control how all my money actually does get spent. Now, I use that as an example because I talk about bridges in life. And we have a lot of bridges in Jacksonville because St. John's River goes through our city. And they're usually apex arrangements where you can't see the other side till you're on the other side of the bridge. And... I want to teach people how to cross the bridge from where they are today to where they want to be in the future. And in Jimmy and the bridges just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, Jimmy Dean's first little bridge was to buy the pig farm. And once he bought the pig farm, he had crossed his first little bridge. And once he was on the other side of that little bridge, he could see profit opportunities that he would have never even begun to imagine had he not taken, you know, had the initiative to cross the first little bridge. I mean, opportunity will come at you like bridges. And if you choose not to cross them, you can't see the opportunities on the other side. If you do take up the opportunity, regardless of how small it is, once you have done it, you're on the other side of the bridge and you can see things that you can do in the future that maybe we're beyond your original comprehension. I mean, life is a never ending supply of opportunities, but not everybody understands what an opportunity looks like. It usually shows up looking an awful lot like work. Well, it might be work, but you know, the bottom line is how big is the payday? What's the payoff for you to do whatever it is that you think maybe work and I have some formulas in life. Number one is everybody needs to know where it is they want to be in the future. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to go anywhere. And as Earl Nightingale says, you know, without goals, you're like a ship with no rudder. You just crank the engines and it goes and goes and goes. And chances are it's going to, there's a thousand miles of rocky coastline for every safe port on the other side of the ocean. So you've got to have goals. Well, I, I tell people, figure out what is the one thing that you want more than anything else in life? Just one. I mean, Napoleon Hill taught us all. We become what we think about. Now, Earl Nightingale made that famous, but Earl Nightingale admitted to our mutual friend, Ben Gay III, that he got that phrase out of the book you know, think and grow rich. I've never found it, but he said it's there. So right. I've never found it either. <laughs> in any event, we become what we think about more than anything else. So if, if you think about something good in your future, it's amazing. You're, you're, you're cranking up forces of nature that you're not even aware of that will bring into your life, whatever it is that you're thinking about. And if you're thinking about something bad happening in your future, uh, you know, your, your brain doesn't care whatever it is that you think about the most. 
it brings into your life more of whatever it is that you're thinking about. And one of the things that I've learned about the brain is that the brain wants you to be right 100% of the time. So imagine, if you will, that you think about something and that's good. You say, well, I was able to do this, you know, and I feel better about myself because of that. Maybe I can try to do so-and-so and maybe I can have the same success. Well, because you had that thought, your brain on a subconscious level, which is 95% of what's going on in your head, your brain will search through every thought you have ever had in your entire lifetime, finding every thought that has ever floated through your head that proves that if you take on this new project, you are most likely to be successful. But your brain doesn't care what you think about. It just wants to prove you right. So if you say, there's no way in the world that I can do that, again, your brain works exactly the same way. It goes through every memory file as far back as you can remember, looking for ideas, comments from other people to prove that you don't have a chance in doing that. Same thing is true. You know, I'm too fat. Well, if if you say I'm too fat, your brain wants to prove you to be right. So whatever behavior got you fat, your brain is going to make sure. I mean, your subconscious mind is 95% of all your thinking. And if you, if your brain believes that you're supposed to be fat, on a subconscious level, the behavior that got you there will continue, <clears throat> you know, or I'm too dumb or I, you know, any, anything negative you say about yourself. You know, it's one of the reasons why affirmations are so important. You need to tell yourself constantly, you know, good things about yourself. Now, again, your brain can't, you know, it, it, it doesn't have an opinion about anything. It just, its mission is to prove you right. So, um, if you say to yourself, um, for instance, imagine if you will, that I'm overweight, that happens to be a true story. I mean, I'm, I'm the national poster child for the lookalike version of the Pillsbury Doughboy. Um, I do eat well. Now, if, um, if I said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to weigh 180 pounds. And I weigh 50 pounds more than that now. If I if I said to myself, I'm going to weigh 180 pounds. Well, my brain knows that that's not true. But if I, and consequently, it will process that thought as a lie and take no action. But if I say every day, I look for ways so that I can end up at 180 pounds your subconscious mind will program you to look for ways so that you can lose the weight that you want to lose. Now, I've got a great example of breaking down a problem to its smallest common denominator. Let's suppose that a person wants to lose weight. I've created what I call the one-day diet. And when I expl- when I say that, people laugh at me. <laughs> the one-day diet, that's funny. I said, the goal of the diet is to lose one ounce today. I don't want to lose one ounce. I want to lose 50 pounds. Well, I'm sorry, lady. The only way you're going to lose 50 pounds is if somebody cut your leg off. So here's how it works. If you were to lose one ounce per day in a month's time, you're going to lose about two pounds. And you you can lose one ounce every day. I mean, it's only 435 calories. One less donut, one less cookie, one less piece of pie will shave 435 calories off of your daily intake. Well, if you're going to lose two, you know, if you follow that plan, losing 435 calories per day, uh, every time you take in 3,500 more calories than it takes to maintain your body weight, you're going to gain a pound. Every time you reduce your intake, by 3,500 calories than it takes to maintain your body weight, you're going to lose one pound. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a coughing jag. In any event, if you repetitiously every single day reduce your intake by 435 calories, 
every month you're going to lose about two pounds. It's 24 pounds in a year, 48 in two years. I mean, how many years do you need to be on a diet like that to be the weight you want to be? <coughs> Excuse me. But again, that it's um, it's just breaking down any large goal into microscopic baby steps. Anybody can do baby steps. And... Um, but a lot of people are afraid. They look at the big goal and say, oh, that's too big. I'll never be able to do that. Nobody ever succeeds quickly. One of the rules of life is that the more time you budget to be successful, the more likely you are to be successful. The problem with too many people today is they want it. They want everything and they want it now. And if they can't have everything and they can't get it now, they, they just go home, drink beer, watch TV. Which is sad. Very sad, very sad. Uh, now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am a cult follower of the IQ Morning Report. And in just three years, it is re- it's achieved a, almost like a cult-like following. Imagine nine countries and four continents. is pretty cool. Uh, what kind of videos? because uh, mostly what I get, videos and images, but what kind of videos make the cut for these daily newsletters that make them so popular? Because every day I practically watch at least one of the three. Well, what I do is I take the time to watch a lot of videos. And sometimes the presenter may be a good presenter, but they're a lousy public speaker. And you know, usually I don't include them. I, once or twice I have only because their content was really that good, even though they weren't the best at presenting it. But I'm looking for materials that somebody that has ideas in it that somebody could adopt today that will influence their behavior, which in turn will influence the rest of their life. I mean, we can lay the foundation to live a better life and you know what you how you just you know the way you apply this information is strictly up to you now the two first steps are number one figure out what you want more than anything else in life and so there are videos that back that up figure out that's step one figure out what you want more than anything else in life and and i there's an exercise for that you take out a stack of paper and start writing down everything that you want And when there's nothing else you think that you want, go over the list and scratch off the item that you care the least about. And you repeat that process until there's only one thing left on your list. And that's the easiest way I know of to clearly identify one single outcome in your life that you want more than anything else. Now, the second step to getting what you want is to figure out why you want it. I mean, What's your motivation for wanting this thing, whatever it happens to be? How would your life be better if you got this thing? How would your life be different? What could you do then that you can't do now? Um, how would it help your family? Your How would it help you personally, but also how would it help your family, your community, your church, your coworkers, if you were to get this thing that you go after? And... So again, I look for videos that support that. And then beyond that, there's a a thousand different influences on your life, from your attitude to um, your relationships to how well you handle money. Um, So I look for videos that all influence behavior that is the kind of behavior that leads to successful outcomes. And it is my hope that people will adopt these various different activities or actions that lead to a more successful life and repeat them often enough that they actually become habits. And if I ultimately get around to writing a book, the book is going to be called The Path That Leads to Habitual Success. We all know people who Everything they touch, they seem to get it right from the get-go. Now, chances are they've failed a lot of times that we're totally unaware of. 
we only hear about their successful things. But it appears that success comes to some of these people so easily. And the reason that it, it appears to come to these people so easily is they have adopted daily behaviors that repeated over an extended period of time will do exactly that. It will give you the success that you're looking for. But you have to know what these things are. And that's what I look for is all these various different videos and articles and audios and anything else I can add, including my own stories, that will add to a person's ability to hopefully get fired up enough to actually take some form of action, create some activity that they can do on a regular basis that will give them the life that they want. I mean, everybody can be incredibly successful, but not everybody is willing to even do the research. And I, I try to make it easy for everybody. I spend a minimum of three hours every day putting a newsletter together. Now that's all the research time, the editing. Uh, I do some video creation where I do a section called headlines all of that takes time. It takes about three hours a day. So, I mean, I save people a lot of time. I mean, you know, it's basically here it is, folks. I serve it to them on a silver platter. And so it's easy to learn what a person needs to learn in order to be successful. Right. It is. It is for sure. And uh, you are a big proponent of uh, becoming your own best teacher. And so many people in life, they finish high school and or university or college and never read another nonfiction book in their lives. If you Google how many books, nonfiction books, or even books that the average American reads, it is appalling. It is like zero or one. So what, tell us a little bit more about becoming your own best teacher, because once you finish school, that should not be the end of your education, or you won't be going far in life. Well, when you get out into the real world after you have been through your commencement exercise, most people think that's the end of my learning, when in fact, it's actually the commencing of your real-life education, what they taught you in school you will quickly learn was totally inadequate to take on all of life's challenges. So you have to figure out what it is that you need to know in order to be the person that you need to be. And actually there's a um, brand new wave of education that is being adopted and proven all over the world that Kids, even kids, don't actually need a teacher to stand in front of them and read out of a book. So what they do is they fill the classrooms with computers and tell the kids, you know, learn whatever it is that you want, you think is going to be important to you. So you've got some kid who wants to design race cars. Well, in order to do that, he's got to learn about uh, higher level mathematics. He's got to learn the science of uh, weight distribution, the whole nine yards. I mean, by following your own needs, you're going to end up learning what the schools claim they would like for you to know. But again, you don't waste your time on topics that you don't need. You only focus on what you need to learn that will accelerate how fast you can become successful. So I became my own best teacher and I encourage other people to become your own best teacher. But the learning never stops. When, when you quit learning, you're dead. You don't know you're dead, but you're dead. And the only reason that you aren't buried yet is because you're still breathing. So, you know, you, you have to become your own best teacher. And nobody can figure that out for you. A public school can't figure it out for you. A college and university cannot figure it out for you. Um, you know, keep, you know, I think it was Einstein that said the hardest part about learning is unlearning all the crap that somebody else has tried to teach you. <laughs> so, you know, again, you know, if you're your own best teacher, you know where you're going and you, you, you're sharp enough to figure out what you need to know to get there. So, <clears throat> you know, for me personally, it was um, 
I, I worked the first half of my adult life. I worked in wholesale sales. And when I was 35, I started a DJ business and the DJ business was not actually to make money. The only thing I wanted to do was to build a personal record library because in 1980, they had quit playing all the music from the fifties and the sixties. And, you know, the, the radio station programmers, you know, their attitude was nobody wants to listen to that old music. And so I took the records that I had and I started doing private parties with my record collection. And actually I only did one because out of that one, I got booked to go do two corporate events and each one of those corporate events yielded two new clients. And then with the passage of time, it just totally got out of hand. Five years later, I was making more money on the weekends by accident than I was full-time in my wholesale job. So I quit my wholesale job and that left me free to travel the country to go after really huge special events. And I ended up with clients all over the eastern side of the United States. And uh, eight years after I started, uh, I was working such humongous jobs, providing the PA system and working as the announcer, that somebody that knew what I was doing knew the decision maker at the White House. And they called the decision maker and suggested that I might have a solution for them because it was an election year. And so I went over and made sales calls at the White House. And as it turned out, I was hired and I ended up working 33 times in 90 days for the White House, uh, five times for President Reagan, 11 times for President Bush, Daddy Bush, and uh, 17 times for Vice President Quayle. And that was coast to coast and border to border. Prior to my involvement, the White House had never, ever had a uh, sound and light contractor that was willing to go anywhere in the United States. They needed them on short notice until I showed up and said I could do it. And I did it. <laughs> so, you know, again, it was my little bridge. You know, all I wanted to do was to get, you know, to have a record collection. And I ended up with a humongous record collection, but it, you know, it, it just got totally out of hand. So if somebody's got an idea of something that they want to do, I fully encourage them to do it because, once you cross that little bridge, you have no idea what the opportunities are on the other side and keep crossing those bridges until, you know, until you are every bit the success that you would like to be in this world. Amen. I was at a friend's house uh, this weekend and his uh, <laughs> 15-year-old son was showing me all his new vinyl records. Apparently vinyl is coming back in a lot of groups are putting out vinyl as well as CDs. And uh, so he had gone out, he has his grandfather's, uh, I don't even know what, record player, let's just call it that, and got a new uh, needle for it. And uh, wow, great sound these days and a lot of cool images on record labels. So you may have something valuable there if you kept them. Well, I have, I have no idea how many 45s that I have, but I've got cabinets full of 45s. I've got crates of albums, uh, collectively between 45s, albums, cassettes, and CDs, my record collection today, I've got over 10,000 selections. And, um, you know, the only thing I knew was that someday, you know, considering that, that music from the fifties and sixties was gone. Uh, by the time I ended up in an old folks home, I'd be the most popular person in the place. I'd bring along with me everything from Motown and, uh, you know, the Memphis sound and the new Orleans sound and the West coast sound. And we'd, we'd live in the hippest old folks home anybody ever had. So. Wow. And now we've gotten this far and I haven't even mentioned the, uh, website yet, but you made it pretty simple for people to find the IQ Morning Report by just putting a .com on the end. And if anybody needs help spelling IQ Morning or Report, they need a different report. <laughs> so IQMorningReport.com. Uh, if you want to be your own best teacher and you don't want to spend the three hours a day that Jim spends, invest to find great material, please do yourself a favor, sign up for the IQ Morning Report. You will be joining some immensely well-known 
authors, speakers, uh, uh, philosophers, just amazingly talented people that I know that all are raving fans of the IQ Morning Report. Uh, so iqmorningreport.com. Uh, what's the cost of the subscription again, Jim? I don't even pay attention. Okay. <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad you asked because I do want to point out something. I am semi-retired, and I do not need to earn a fabulous amount of money as so many others who have something that they offer on the Internet. But I do have expenses, and I need to at least cover my expenses. So here's my offer. Uh, I offer a 30-day test ride for $1. And if somebody can't afford a dollar, I'll send it to them. Just send me an email. Tell me <laughs> I need right. a dollar so I can subscribe. So, you know, again, money is not my motivator. I truly, truly want everybody to learn as much as they can about success. But on an ongoing basis, it's $9 and 95 cents. So my, you know, my belief is that even a hamburger who wants more than to be a hamburger flipper can afford nine ninety five a month. Right. And so, you know, and, and again, I don't load it up with a bunch of garbage that people can buy, and I don't send out marketing emails. I just want to help people to be more successful. I, I know they can be, and if they have any degree of personal motivation, uh, you know, sooner or later, out of all these, I mean, there, there's at least eight ideas every newsletter, six days a week, times 52 weeks a year. And I mean, you know, that's got to amount to what, maybe a thousand, a thousand different things that can influence your life for the better. And all it takes is one single idea, just like the book, Thinking Grow Rich was a serious course correction in my life. All it takes is one single idea to improve all the tomorrows of your life. So. And that's something I love about the newsletter. You never try and sell anything, and I've <clears> never received an email with you from you other than the IQ Morning Report. And so no sales, no marketing, strictly pure, powerful, brain-enlarging, life-enlarging information that everybody can use from what are the eight different topics uh, uh, that you cover. I know there's eight because I read it recently and I think I love all eight, but I don't know them specifically. Okay. Let me run down the list. I maintain that your body, I mean, your life, uh, boils down to eight different things. And to the degree that you improve these eight different areas of your life, you will succeed. Number one is your brain. What you think again, you become what you think about. So learn about positive influence, thinking, uh, peak performance, thinking, and so forth like that. Number two is the physical health of your body. Now, without good health, nothing else in your life is going to matter. So that too is important. Number three on the list is relationships. And the most important of all relationships is the relationship you have with yourself. Beyond that is the relationship that you have with your family, your community, your church, and your coworkers. Next on the list is personal productivity. How well do you actually apply what you have learned? And next on the list is time management. And this is having systems to get things done. Now, personal productivity and time management could be merged together as a single subject, but it needs to be approached from two different aspects. And so I, that's why I do it that way. But again, it's personal, personal productivity is time management and activity management. You can't manage time. Nobody can save it, uh, speed it up, but you can manage your activities. So it's actually, time management is actually a misnomer. It's actually activity management. Next on the list is spirituality. Now, spirituality is not the same as religion. Religion, there are 6,000 religions in the world, and I'm the last person on earth to tell anybody which religion that they should be following. But a spiritual person is a person who has a never ending gratitude for how well stocked the universe is to meet our needs. And the person that we can give credit to for all of that is the infinite wisdom, the creator. And in some cases, if 
people want to refer to that as God, that's okay by me. Bottom line is something, somebody wonderful created all of this. And the the universe is stocked with absolutely everything we need. It may We might not get everything that we want, but there's certainly more than enough so that we all get everything we need. Next on the list is your money management skills, personal finances. And the greatest book ever written on personal finances that I'm aware of is the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. Now, it's a little bit hard to follow because the language in the book, uh, they use words and names that were popular 2,000 years ago. But if you get the audio version of it and the printed book, the audio version reads like a bedtime story. It's easy to follow. And, but the reason you need the print copy is so that you can use that for reference whenever the audio copy talks about something you want to reread, restudy, and learn more about. But it'll teach you everything you need to know about money. If you, if you learn to master your finances based on that one book, The Richest Man in Babylon, you will never, ever have a financial problem the rest of your life. And last on the list is actually the first thing that should people should learn about, and that's universal laws. There are some laws in the universe that actually control us. It's the one and only thing you cannot control. You can't control the universe. The universe controls you. Well, how does it work? Well, if you understand, there are seven basic universal laws up to maybe 25, depending on what expert you're talking to. But I'll give you an example of one universal law, and that's cause and effect. That's my favorite of all. Your life is currently the effect of something. So the question is, what caused it? Well, lack of reading books, lack of this, lack of that, lack of whatever. And you come up short in life. You don't have many of the things you need and few of the things that you want. But if you did all the right things, and that's what I'm trying to teach in the newsletter, the right things to do so that you end up with plenty, uh, then what you do to create plenty is the cause and what happens next is the effect. And the effect is you live a better life. And I try to compare the entire success process to a hand crank sausage grinder. And if you've got a hand crank sausage grinder, nothing happens till you turn the crank, meaning that in the success cycle, What happens is strictly up to you. If you're not cranking, nothing is going on. Now, a sausage grinder has got an input spout and an output spout. And if you don't think the output spout is turning out enough, what that means is that you're not feeding enough on the other end. Success works like that. If you've got very little success, chances are you're not putting a whole lot in the input spout. Uh, The other part of it is if you don't like the quality of the output, it means that the quality of your input is not what it needs to be to get the quality that you want on the other end. So that's kind of like my my mental image version of how success works. And I've got one more formula that I definitely would like to talk about today. It's real quick. Here's what I say. here's, Here's the recipe for a great life. Now, You may have a better recipe, but if you don't, you're free to borrow mine until you get one. And here's how it works. You need to learn what you need to learn so that you can do what you need to do in order to earn what you need to earn so that you can save what you need to save so that you can invest what you need to invest in order to retire financially comfortable. That's the plan. I like the plan. That plan. Pretty simple, easy to follow. Exactly. Thanks for your time today, Jim. Again, everyone, please, you will be among some great people by subscribing to the IQ Morning Report. And for ten dollars, it's it's way, 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 way worth more than that to your brain and your life and your earnings. This newsletter will give you a return on investment. You will earn more and be a better person. Ten bucks. Cough it up. Go to the IQ Morning Report. You will not be disappointed. Thanks so much for your time today, Jim. Amazing. Keep up the great work. 
Uh, you're making my life of sharing good things with people a lot easier uh, because I get a lot of it from you. Tom, too tall. You are too kind, my friend. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details.